With one of the easiest habits to create, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Listen, friends, one of the easiest habits for you to create, one of the easiest habits to form is criticism. Your flesh loves it, feeds on it, even when it's veiled as constructive criticism. Our flesh just loves it. And when we start out on that path in any relationship with our kids, with our spouse, with our family, once you go down that road, it's very hard to get off of it. This is amazing grace. It said that those who are good at complaining are seldom good at anything else. But that's not to say there aren't legitimate criticisms. So how do we deal with them? We'll get some practical help with that and more today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll find that as we continue in Romans 14. But first, with more on the problem of hypocrisy we began to hear about last time, here is Pastor Ed. You know, a lot of these secondary things the convictions, they lie in religious traditions, but also you can easily fall into the trap of pleasing man. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 29 that the fear of man or the desire to please man will bring a snare to you. It's a trap. You know why? Because you never please everyone. But you know your life in Christ does please the Lord. It's a lot easier to have our attention based on pleasing God than it is everyone else. And everyone's expectations on us and what everybody wants from us and all the pushing and the pulling and the prodding. It's very hard to keep it up with it all. But when your ways please the Lord, the Bible says, he can make even your enemies be at peace with you. And so your focus on the Lord, my focus horizontally, just really vertically being in line with Jesus and then horizontally he starts to take care of all those relationships in my life. He says back in Romans, he says, be careful, don't judge. He says, who are you to judge another man's servant? That comes from the practical realm. That's a spiritual truth, but in that day, it was not nice, and it wasn't a good thing to judge someone else's servant because you weren't their master. You didn't control their behaviors. You may not have been happy with what they were doing, but they fully pleased God. They fully pleased their master. And so he asked, very matter-of-factly, he says, who are you? that you're going to judge another man's servant to his own master, he stands or falls. And even if they are stumbling and, you know, walking along and and they're, they're about ready to fall, indeed, that servant of God will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Peter experienced this faltering and this stumbling a lot in his life. One of the things he stumbled over as a new believer, as a Christian, was his diet. In Acts chapter 10... Flip over there, Acts chapter 10. We learn the lesson that under the new covenant, the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ by faith, there are no more ceremonial or dietary restrictions placed upon the believer. Jesus Christ has fully fulfilled the law by faith in him 
The dietary restrictions placed upon the children of Israel in the old covenant have been done away with. Matter of fact, Paul will tell the Colossians, don't let anyone judge you in food or drink or in any of the days that you worship. And so in Christ, no more restrictions from Leviticus. Even those that might try to lay a heavy dietary restriction on you from Leviticus, don't follow the rest of the book. They only pick and choose because the law could never be fully kept. You always had to bring a sacrifice, didn't you? You always had to come back and bring in sacrifice and say, oh God, I failed. Will you accept this sacrifice as a covering of my sin? And God said, yes, I accept that. But see, Jesus is the Lamb of God that what? Takes away the sins of the world. That final sacrifice. Under the new covenant, no more restrictions. Well, Peter has still struggled with that. And in Acts chapter 10, we read in verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Don't let the word trance throw you. It's not how we use it today. The original language speaks of being sort of semi-asleep, right? The exact opposite happened to you on Thursday, right? It was after you ate that you went back and you started to dream. Here, for him, it happened before, And so he's kind of in that semi-sleep where you're always shaken out of it, right? Every little noise, whoa, and then you go back to sleep. That's where he's at. And it says, he saw heaven open, verse 11, and an object like a great sheep bound on all four corners, descending to him, let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He's hungry, he gets a vision about eating, but the animals in the sheet were unclean, and they were common. And they would cause Peter in his conviction to break his own conviction toward eating. He's free in Christ, but he's still holding to the law for his personal conviction. Even though he can't fully hold to it, he can't fully keep the law. He's never able to do it. He's never going to be able to do it. And God's given him a lesson. We know it's, it's Jesus speaking to him because the voice is familiar to him because he answers in verse 14, not so, Lord. So it's a familiar It's a familiar voice. It's a familiar thing. He says, I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. And notice Jesus' answer. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. He's learning a lesson in his personal convictions and how he views food. But this lesson's actually bigger because it's going to open the door for him to go to Cornelius and share the gospel. And the gospel takes off in the Gentiles. I love that. God, nothing is wasted with God in your life. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Every lesson that you're learning is to be learned for today and for tomorrow. God's going to hook you up with all the knowledge you're gaining just for today, to minister to you today, to strengthen you today, to mature you today. But he's also going to use that same wisdom to help you in the future, to make you a vessel where you can help people in the future. I love that. Nothing is wasted by God. And so Peter learns nothing that God says is clean, is to be refused. You can eat whatever you want. So those of you that are weak in the faith, don't despise the stronger ones. Or those of you that are stronger, don't despise the weaker ones. Those of you that are weaker, don't judge the stronger ones. Because that's where friction comes. Where we don't make room for each other. Do you know in every church it's this way? There are strong believers in every church and weaker believers. There are those that have been walking with the Lord for years and years and years and years. And there are those that have been walking with the Lord for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes. There are those that seem to have a great understanding of the scriptures. And there are those that open the Bible and say, what? There are those that God is working on 
that have been walking with him for many years and there are those that God's working on that have newly saved. There's a mixed bag. There's one of the things I love about the church of Jesus Christ is its diversity, not just in gender, not just in race, but also in spiritual maturity. There's diversity in the body of Christ and we need to make room for everyone. The problem is, is that as we're making room for everyone, we may decide, well, Ed, I think I just won't judge anyone anymore. I just won't pass judgment on anyone. We'll just, let's just adopt, as some churches have, let's just adopt the philosophy, let live and let love and let God, and we just will live our own lives under the Lord, and it really doesn't matter, except that that kind of philosophy brings morality into the gray areas, and the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't have a gray area for issues of morality. God is God. He's perfectly righteous. And he has identified what's good for us, what's not good for us. See, some of you, just for a word of balance, might leave here, might be listening to this study and say, well, you know, I think I hear Pastor Ed pretty well here, and I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to let people, I'm not going to judge anymore. You know, every time time I pass judgment, you know, I might be hurting someone. I don't want to hurt anyone. And to support that, you might take me to Matthew chapter 7. Let's go there as we wind down today. Matthew chapter 7. A lot of people leave Matthew 7 feeling the same way, that you should never pass judgment on a believer or an unbeliever ever again. And they'll come to Matthew 7 and they'll say, open the Bible. Look at Matthew 7. I know Jesus said it. And right there in verse 1, right? Judge not lest you, that you not be judged. And then you can hear it, can't you? See, you can't judge me. Why are you judging me? Who are you to judge? And they might even go over to Paul and say, who are you to judge another man's servant? He stands or falls before the Lord. And so does the Bible eliminate all judgment? Like we're never to make a judgment and pass a judgment again? No, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, there are quite a few things. I'll give you just a couple that are essential for believers to make a judgment on. For instance, number one, it's essential that you and I make a judgment on what is right doctrine and what is false doctrine. It's very important. We just don't receive everything. They go, well, it was on TV or some guy said it. He had a Bible open. Even here from this pulpit, from my lips, it's essential that you discern and make a judgment between right doctrine and false doctrine and be able to support it. In the scriptures, you don't want to just take everything in, take everything in, take everything in. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. So be careful there. Another thing that you and I are to make judgments on are between good examples to follow and bad examples to avoid. Like we want to be careful. You know, the Bible even has a category of people that it mentions. It speaks of evil company. You know, evil company, the Bible says, corrupts good habits and we're not to be deceived. And so we need to be determined. Who's going to be a good example to follow? Like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? We want to find people like that. Good examples that we want to follow and walk alongside of them. They can help us in our Christian walk. And then we also want to distinguish who are bad examples. It's like, I'm not going to follow that brother. He says he's a Christian, but he says and doesn't do. And you want to be very, very careful. When you make those distinctions, you're not in sin. You can jot it down in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 
For many walk, verse 18, of whom I've told you before and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. I mean, there are people under the banner of Christianity that the Bible calls enemies of the cross. You want to make that distinction. So the Bible doesn't eliminate all judging, but it does eliminate a certain type of judging. Listen to Jesus as he says, verse 2, For with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Then he used a funny story. He kind of goes into like eye surgery here. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank? You just have to read it that way, right? Don't you see the log in your eye? You know, what are you so worried about everybody's specks when you've got this big log sticking out of your eye? I mean, how can you even get close to see this speck? Because you're going to be knocking people out of the way with that big plank in your head. That's the picture. You know, how can you possibly do delicate eye surgery with that big thing sticking out of your eye? And how do you say to your brother, verse 4, let me remove the speck out of your eye. And look, there's a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite. So there's a limitation on judging one another, and that is don't judge one another hypocritically. I could add another one to that. Don't judge a brother hypercritically. Hypocritically, you're not walking the walk. Hypercritically, you can't find anything right with them. Both of them, hey, deal with the plank in your own eye. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Begins in our lives first. So let's deal with our lives first. That will make it better for us to delicately and gently deal with a speck in someone else's eye because many of us have specks in our eyes and many of us have planks in our eyes. And we need to make room for one another in love. He's forbidding Jesus's from us. He's forbidding us to become persistent fault finders. He's forbidding us to be these constant sin sniffers in the church, always looking for what's wrong. Listen, friends, listen, one of the easiest habits for you to create, one of the easiest habits to form is criticism. Your flesh loves it feeds on it. Even when it's veiled as constructive criticism, our flesh just loves it. And when we start out on that path in any relationship with our kids, with our spouse, with our family, hey, it'd be very easy for you if you wanted to develop a critical spirit. You could start with the church and you could say something very simple. There's a lot wrong in this church. This is wrong, and that is wrong, and this is wrong, and when is someone going to fix this? If I was in charge, I would fix this on and on and on. It would be very easy for you to do. You know why? Because there's wrong in this church. Of course there is. Prayerfully, it's not from impure motives or people doing things on purpose that to hurt people. Prayerfully, that's not. The, but there's always something wrong in the church. There's always going to be something wrong. But once you go down that road, it's very hard to get off of it. You walk in the doors, I'm going to find something wrong in the church today. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you found it all right, didn't you? And every time you come back, it's worse and it's worse because your flesh feeds on criticism. When we're looking for it, we find it. There's a lot of wrong with that brother. Man, I can't believe that brother and that brother and that. I can't believe it. How dare they? How could they? You start to despise and you start to judge and there's friction and there's pain. It'd be very easy. I mean, let's paint a picture this way. A gal comes into the congregation, and she's not dressed very modest. No, as a matter of fact, you see her coming in, and it kind of upsets you. You start thinking, how in the world 
Does a person think, why would they dress like that? Who's letting her in the door? Doesn't she understand she's going to stumble my kids? She's going to stumble my husband. I can't, be- I got to talk to her. I can't wait till we greet. I got to talk to her. I'm going to go over and tell her, don't you understand? How could you dress this way? What are you doing? And that hypercritical spirit doesn't leave room for the fact that let's just say that gal doesn't know any better because she just got saved on Wednesday. And she's got bigger things to deal with than the way she dresses. That's the only clothing that she has right now. She's trying to kick a habit of heroin off. You know, she's got to deal with being a single mom now. She's got to wrestle with some things. But here you are. You're going to tell everybody how to dress. And how could she dress like that? What is she thinking? Wouldn't it be better that as your eyes notice that, that maybe you just take your jacket off and gently come over to the sister and say, you know, honey, it'd probably be better if I cover up your shoulder. I put this over, and then after the service, I'll come back, and I'll get my jacket, and I'll explain everything to you from the Bible. Wouldn't that be better? Shouldn't we be open? I mean, it's a silly question to ask because we need to be open. Didn't someone cut you some slack when you were a new believer? I'm glad they did. You were probably so messed up, man. (laughs) You're probably thinking like I did. Man, if I walk into a church, it's going to collapse. What am I doing in a church? I don't belong in a church. My life is messed up. What am I doing here? And somebody made room for me. They didn't prejudge me because of the way I looked or how my hair was or what kind of clothes I was wearing. Or Listen, the, the world is getting worse and worse. Don't you notice that? Society is getting crazily and crazily worse. You know what that means? That means the people that are getting saved are going to be dealing with worse and worse things. Things that are offensive, things that are ugly, things that in 1950 or 1960 were no big deal, but they're the rage right now. And because they get saved, or what's the first thing we're going to do? Well, change everything about you on the outward. What? The Bible says man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. He looks inside that person. And how often I need to pray for that in my heart. I need to see beyond, you know, okay, so they got tattoos. And maybe you don't like that. But cut them some slack. Make room for them. God, he sees past them. Right to the heart of the matter. And who knows if they're the next Billy Graham. Who knows if they're going to be uh, the next person that God uses in a great and a mighty way. And here we are. It's just in that place where we aren't making room. And we need to. We need not to despise. And we need not to judge. We just need to live our life unto Jesus Christ, right? And live in unity, maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Please be careful, church. Be careful. Be careful that your heart doesn't well up in despising people from where they came from. I know some of you have crazy stories. You've come from difficult paths. And you know what? Jesus, he accepts you. And so do we. We receive you here. Amen. We want to be an environment here that makes room for you. Will there be some behaviors that you might need to change? Oh, yeah. Some habits that you need to kick? Sure. But you know what? God, he loves you. And he desires. And if we misrepresent God, we're sorry. Because we're imperfect. And we want to grow in our maturity. And I think God is growing us up. But we're imperfect. We make mistakes. We make snap judgments. We really shouldn't. We judge on the outward when we really should be looking to the heart. And so as God is growing us up, then we also ask you to be patient. To be patient. God is doing a work in our midst. Our church is filled with new believers that don't know anything about the Bible, but they love Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, and mind. And may it rub off on us. Amen? 
May we get zealous and passionate on the simple things of life that says, look, look, it's simple. God saved you to use your life to save other people. That's why we live. To know the word, to be built up in him and every church and every family and every group is filled with the strong and with the weak. Oh, we're going to learn how to use our Christian freedom next time together as we study through chapter 14. It's important that we live in such a way that we don't stumble one another. But at the same time, we need to make room for each other. I love this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And may God just continue to pour out his spirit upon us. May we continue to grow in this area. That we're not despising one another. We're not hypocritical or hypercritically judging one another. We're just growing up in the Lord together. Giving God a chance to work on those things in our hearts. Oh, you may have strong convictions. Okay, I'm not going to try to talk you out of them. Just be careful to not impose your strong convictions on other people and make them a measurement for spirituality, okay? Just be careful. You have strong convictions, fantastic. Live them unto the Lord. But if someone doesn't share your strong conviction, make room for that brother. Make room for that sister. Because according to Romans 14, God receives them. Amen? Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And we've been studying Romans today. If you'd like to hear this message again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there too at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed, as we reflect on today's time in the Word, what do we do with a complaint based on our strong conviction? It said that we should talk to God about it before talking to men. Well, that said, should we, in confidence, bounce that complaint off a pastor or a mature brother or sister to make sure we're not off base or overreacting? Or should we go directly to the person we have an issue with? You know, Larry, I think that there is great wisdom in seeking counsel from a mentor, from a pastor, from someone more mature than you. And that's always a good choice. If you choose to get advice like that, I would encourage you to keep it very generic, to not use names. And as you're sharing it, I would also encourage you to approach it in such a way where you're not setting the whole situation up to favor you. I do believe that we should take it to the Lord first, and I do believe that we should carefully construct how we're going to communicate with our brother or sister. And if you do bounce Uh, off a pastor or mature brother and sister, uh, just to make sure that you're not overreacting. Uh, I think that it's it's an uh, important—that can be an important aspect in dealing with difficulties, because many times this is the first or maybe the second time you've ever really dealt with a difficulty biblically, and it's not always going to be clean. You know, Matthew 18, Jesus teaches us how to go to the brother, you and him alone— uh, and, and even as we try to do that, I mean, I've, I've been a believer of 29 years, and as I approach trying to handle these things, um, sin can so muddy things up, and sin can so mess things up that it's not going to be as clean as it sounds. But as we approach the Lord, and we come to Him, and we pray, He will give us wisdom. The Bible says if we lack wisdom, that we can ask of God, and He will give us the wisdom. So we go to God first. 
And it may be all that's necessary. Uh, It may be all that's necessary. But how careful we need to be not to destroy a brother or sister, how careful we need to be to walk in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lusts of our flesh. Thanks for your question. Really good. That is very helpful. Thanks, Pastor Ed. Each month, we pick out a book that we think can really help your walk with the Lord. And here in August, it's The Third Option by Miles McPherson. It's not hard to see that racial tension is high in America today. And maybe you're wondering, is there hope for a racially divided nation? I'm glad to say there is. In The Third Option, Pastor Miles shares what that is and encourages the reader to rise above the issues that divide us and be part of something bigger. You'll also be challenged to fully embrace God's goodness and power. To get a copy of The Third Option for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number 877-30-GRACE. Join us next time as we study through Romans with Pastor Ed Taylor and learn of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 